This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell PA. Bird Campbell PA, a law firm run by Duke fans and Duke alumni. Uh, Bird Campbell means business. Hello and welcome to episode 88 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Friday, October 13th, 2017. We're recording at a sort of unusual time for us um, because we have breaking news to discuss uh, that affects um, not necessarily the Duke program directly, but certainly college basketball, the ACC, and of course our chief rivals, the North Carolina Tar Heels. I am your host, as usual, uh, for this episode, uh, I am Klein. I am coming to you from Denver, Colorado. I am joined, as always, by my two fellow co-hosts in Atlanta, Georgia, Jason Evans. Jason, uh, maybe sum up your current mood in like three words before we dive in. It's Friday the 13th. <laughs> All right. That, that is, that's close enough. That's close enough. And then, yeah. uh, and then, And then my other co-host, of course. In Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Donald, your feelings in three words. College Basketball Festivus. College Basketball Festivus. Okay. Uh, I, I am curious to know where you're going to go with that. Um, the airing of grievances. Before, I got some ah, <laughs> right. I like that. I got some yes. problems. Absolutely. Yes, would, you, would you say that you have some problems with you people? Yes, with you insert people. Yes. Um, so I, I will, but before I before we get into the meat of this, I would like to apologize personally because uh, my health has not been great this week. So if I if I sound uh, a little under the weather or if I'm sniffling or anything, uh, my apologies to you, my co-hosts, and also to you all, the listeners. Um, so I thought you were main... crying. I thought you were crying. You were sniffling because you're crying over the NCAA having no balls. There's there's a lot. Oh man, th- 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 there's a lot of heavy sports emotions going on right now. So let's. Let's dive right. into hey, it. You know, wait, wait, wait. We, we should warn folks. If yes. there are small, we are, we are not censoring this podcast. There will be no nope. bleeping going on. There will be no saying the word fudge instead of some other kind of word or darn or dang, things like that. There so will be four little words. So get the kids out of the room. Get yes. them away from the podcast. If you're under 18, you need parents' permission to listen to this podcast because we're there, about to there fuck are, it up, people. There are raw, there are raw emotions. Uh, that are about to be unleashed. I think we we went into this earlier in our in our group text planning the show. Anyway, so let's let's dive in. The big news today that that appeared a few hours ago. So we're recording uh, about mid afternoon on Friday. Um, so about four, five, six hours ago, the NCAA released the sanctions report against UNC, and there weren't any. Uh, it turns out that the NCAA could not find any instances of impermissible benefits from the UNC academic scandal. They couldn't really find anything that they found punishable, um, which I think we find troubling. Uh, Jason and I certainly earlier this on the last episode that you probably listened to uh, maybe a few days ago, talked about what we expected to happen. Um, not necessarily what we wanted to happen, but what we expected to happen as far as sanctions. I mentioned that I thought UNC was going to lose the 2005 championship banner. Jason said he wasn't going to be surprised if they lost the 2009 championship banner. 
and it seems like there are there will be no punishments. Um, this whole thing is going to be forgotten about in due course, at least by the NCAA. So, Donald, now now I'll give you a little bit more room to expand. How do you feel about how? What was your initial reaction to seeing the news that UNC isn't going to get punished for any of the any of the fake classes, the paper classes, the um, the the stonewalling against the NCAA, all that stuff is going entirely unpunished. Okay, here we go. NCAA, if you are a member of the Committee on Infractions, I need you to put in some noise-canceling earphones. I need you to turn this thing all the way up to 12 because I'm about to say something to all of you. What the hell are you doing? What the hell are you doing? This decision today is absolutely insane. The fact that you have just told the entire country that this is not of your is something that you can't deal with because it's not an impermissible benefit is astounding to me. And I want to know why we should consider you a legitimate body or organization. Because, look, you guys just told us that it's okay that these paper classes, these fake classes, existed to push people through college because it was offered to everybody. Do you know how stupid you sound when you say that? Do you know how stupid this thing reads when you wrote that? I don't know who you guys are. Carol Cartwright, Alberto Gonzalez, Eleanor Myers. Joseph Novak, Jim Pil- Jill Pilgrim, what are you thinking when you say that there is no cause for concern at the University of North Carolina when it Did comes you, to these classes? Donald, do you like how how do you interpret the permissible benefit sort of language here? Um, because I, I think that that's a, a thing that the NCAA is was trying to kind of skirt around in giving the explanation here, right? Is that there mm-hmm. wasn't an impermissible benefit given to athletes. Um, what, like, why do you disagree? I, and I, I'm probably going to give you the same answer, but why do you disagree with that? Look, just because it was offered to everyone doesn't make it okay. Just because it was, you know, th- that's basically what they're saying. They're saying it's not impermissible benefit because it was something that was offered to everyone. And, I think that is an asinine analogy, you know, and that's something that also is setting a very, very dangerous precedent. Are we going to talk about Louisville and say, hey, as long as the hookers and $100,000 was offered to everybody, then it's okay? Because they're not going to say that. And and Jason, I I want to hear your thoughts because I know you have some really, really good thoughts on this part. I, I, I really, I don't understand how they were unable to hang Carolina on the improper benefits. I, I, I get that they couldn't talk about the academic fraud um, because it's not in the NCAA's purview to determine whether or not classes are legitimate. Uh, And the NCAA has never wanted to do that. And and I understand that. But the, the investigators, the folks who prepared the report that was given to the Committee on Infractions, intentionally focused their report on improper benefits, on the fact that these, these, 
athletes were given access to these classes at a higher rate than regular students and and that the classes were designed with athletes in mind and that the the athletic uh, advising department was able to communicate with Debbie Crowder and, and with you know with Julius Narango and uh, and arrange for specific grades. Those are improper benefits. That has nothing to do. It could did have been see, a super difficult class. If did you if see you, did you see Jason? Did you see Jason it, it, related to those two people that that they were hit with no cause or with uh, show cause penalties? Yeah, because <laughs> yes. he didn't cooperate. That's the only because thing they that didn't happened. cooperate in time. That, that, means, that means that that means that the, the people who were running the African American Studies Department at UNC aren't allowed to be NCAA basketball coaches now. What? Yeah, it's, <laughs> It's so. It's uh, by the way, they they're both retired. They're both like in their late. They're both gone. They're, they're gone. Working. They're, they're not, not working. They're not, they're not getting another job, even if they wanted to work. But they. That's. Uh, oh my God. Go ahead, Jason. Oh wait, I, I I, I want to go back to this. I. There are emails. There are letters from people in the athletic advising department. Who who wrote to Debbie Crowder and said. Hey, player X, and we don't know player X's name because it's been blacked out, but the NCAA knows that player's name. Player X needs an A to be eligible. And Debbie Crowder went, no problem. Aunt Debbie will take care of everything for you. And, and the NCAA said, no, that's not an improper benefit. I don't understand it. I, I guess, I think perhaps that the Committee on Infractions decided that it couldn't, if the classes weren't fraudulent, it couldn't decide that the classes were fraudulent. And so... If the classes aren't fraudulent, then there's no special benefit to being placed in them. I, I, that's the only thing I can come up with. Well, but, and, 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 and it seems like... It's unfathomable. Like, I, I guess the, the point is that the, 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 whole, I, the, the whole logic behind the impermissible benefits is that athletes get something in, in a, like extra over other students um, in in for the purpose of being athletes and if they they aren't they aren't gaining anything by being passed out of these classes but but if if the classes are being used towards graduation and therefore you know a a very valuable and coveted degree from university of north carolina um is that not an like is that not an improper benefit is that not something that that other students are not getting i mean you jason you're hitting on the exact on the exact point of the whole thing, right? I, it's so it's so frustrating. I, I mean, when when we first got word of this this morning that nothing was going to happen to Carolina, I, I was practically speechless, and then I was practically in tears. Uh, I, it, it's it's incredibly depressing, and the thing I think that bothers me the most is, is that the NCAA has essentially told every single school that's a part of its group, every, every school in the NCAA, they've, they've essentially said to them, we don't care about academics at all. We're not here for academics. Guys, I, wanna, I, I went to the NCAA website, and um, on their website, the very first link at the top of the page is NCAA core values, the core values of the NCAA. And the very first one says the collegiate model of athletics in which students participate as an avocation, balancing their academic, social, and athletic experiences. Their academic and athletic experiences. That is the very first 
core value of the NCAA. The second one is that they participate with the highest levels of integrity and sportsmanship. And the third one is the pursuit of excellence in both academics and athletics. That's what the NCAA says it is. It talks about uh, uh, academics in addition to athletics. And now here it is today, and today it has told every institution we don't actually care at all about athletics. I mean, uh, about academics. We don't or, care or, about or that, that, that we can that we can we can say we care, but we can't actually do anything about them. Exactly. Right? And and here's the roadmap. But by, by the way, I want to remind you all: a couple years ago, the University of Connecticut won the NCAA title in basketball, and the very next year, they were barred from participating in the tournament. They were not able to defend their title. They weren't very good. They weren't going to make it anyway. But they were barred from participating because their uh, their uh, college basketball players fell below the NCAA mandated academic threshold for graduation rate. They, they, you know, they didn't have enough athletes graduating um, or progressing toward graduation. And as a result, they were banned from the postseason. And every year there are a couple teams that get caught up in this uh, APR rate thing, um, academic progress rate thing, where they, uh, where their team is barred from the postseason because they couldn't, because the athletes didn't progress to graduation enough. That's never going to happen again. How can any school ever let that happen again? Because you'd have to be a fool to ever let it happen to your school because all you have to do is set up a class and give them whatever grade you want. And, and you can leave a paper, I mean, and you can, you can leave a paper trail too, because like you said, they have, they have the emails to Debbie Crowder. Um, yeah. It's not like, it's not like they, they did a, a good job of covering it up. They, they admitted sort of in these communications that they were doing this. Donald, did you, did you have something you wanted to add about, um, about kind of the, the whole fake class setup? Yeah, like, I mean, just thinking about it like this, I want to ask a question to any of you out there who the, the 0.3 people who are watching or listening to this who are graduates of the University of North Carolina. How do you feel about this? Because honestly, what this just said this whole thing has been about the fact that they have devalued the quality of your education. They've devalued the, your degree from that school because now all the NCAA is saying is these guys can major in football. They can major in swimming pool management. They can take a class where they just have to show up at an art gallery and it's okay because it's offered to everybody, even though it really is filled by these athletes who are really just there to get them over the finish line and keep them eligible. I don't know if you guys have watched the program, the movie from like 1993. Uh, it was actually filmed on Duke's campus, which is ironic because it is about the fact that they are pushing these football players to get through college however they can and keep them eligible so they can play. Because at the end of the day, that's all they were good for was the money that they were bringing in by being a member of that football team. That's what UNC is doing here. That's what they've been doing for the last 18 years here. And the NCAA just said today, that's cool. And I think that is absolute crap. It's absolute crap for the NCAA to pull that and to say that it's out of their jurisdiction, out of their hands, because if it's out of their hands, then whose hands is it in? And if it's not in their hands, then why are we listening to them on everything else? Uh, you and, know, I've got a, I'm, sorry, I've got a great analogy for this. Sure. Think about let's, it this uh, way. Let, let's hear it. Yeah. So I got a couple of them I'm going to give you. So, uh, Think about it. It's like an FBI agent sees you going 100 miles an hour on the highway. Wow, you're, he goes, that guy's breaking the law. There's no question about it. But an FBI agent 
doesn't have the power to give you a ticket. He doesn't have the power to enforce the law there. He knows you broke it, but there's nothing he can do about it. That's the situation that the NCAA was in here because of because they can't rule on academic fraud. And I'm telling you, UNC's lawyers looked at this a while ago and they told Carolina, they go, there's an easy way out of this. All we have to do is say we did not commit academic fraud. The key to all this was the Weinstein uh, Catawalla report, uh, the Weinstein report, um, which UNC initially endorsed. And UNC initially said, you know, it was an internal it was a, a probe that UNC paid for and that UNC backed and UNC cooperated with. And when it came out, UNC said they accepted the findings in it. But then the NCAA asked about it. And UNC suddenly said, UNC talked to their lawyers, and they suddenly said, oh, no, no, there are all kinds of problems with that report because that report articulated that it was academic fraud. And UNC said, no, 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 no. There's no academic fraud here. And when they refused to admit to anything, the NCAA was unable to make the call for them. The NCAA yeah, and, looked at and, UNC. And, uh, really quick, one more. The NCA looked at UNC like you, like the NCA was a parent who sees crayon writing on the wall and sees a child holding the crayon. UNC is the child. And the NCAA asked UNC, "Did you write on the wall?" And UNC said, "No, we didn't." And the NCAA said, "Well, I'm not able to judge whether you did it, so we're all good here." I yeah, mean, it's just I think, insane. I think that the 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 you know part of the blame here is on the NCAA, but part of it is sort of on on Sachs the the um, academic oversight commission that, um, that kind of gave UNC a slap on the wrist for this. I mean, they put them on probation, I think for a year, um, when these findings came out, but didn't, didn't really go in on, on punishing them for having these well, but wait, but classes they, and, and, Sam, and, Sam, and the, the giving... problem is, problem is Sachs can't do Sachs. The problem with Sachs is they only have uh, other than probation, which they put UNC on. The only other thing, that they, there's no interim thing they can do. The next other, thing they could do is they could pull UNC's accreditation. Which they, they were going to that, do over one. There's no way they're going to do that. There's never been right. a school UNC size. I mean, doing that would have invalidated thousands of degrees. It would have affected every single student at the school. It would have cut you. UNC would not have been eligible for federal funding. It would have shut down the University of North Carolina. I mean, there was a, that's using, that's using a, a, you know, that's burning down an entire forest it's, you know, because of a problem with one twig, there's no way they right. were going to do that. So they don't have to do it. And, and, and I know, and, and, and that's, that's kind of the, the surprise here is that there isn't, UNC sort of committed the perfect crime because they, they had this system that there was, there was a jurisdiction for, right? Like Sachs could be the, the, the jurisdiction for, um, for this, this rogue department. But like you point out, they don't really have, uh, an option from zero to 60. It's, it's either, it's either nothing or everything when it comes to the, the academic certification and the NCAA doesn't get involved in academics, uh, like, or uh, apparently now that we've learned this and, and I, I wanted to, uh, go, uh, pull up something. I, I, I sent this to you guys earlier. I tweeted this out. Um, Andy Katz, you know, right after this news came out, there was a lot of activity on Twitter, mostly condemning the whole thing and, and, pointing out that UNC deserved some kind of punishment. I don't think that there was, um, I don't think that there was any sort of consensus about how much punishment was needed, but even, even sort of the UNC partisans uh, were like, well, we didn't expect this. We didn't expect to get off this easily. And Andy Katz tweeted out, uh, he said, what is hard to quantify for UNC is what the Tar Heels lost during this NCAA investigation outside of legal fees. 
And <laughs> I quote tweeted back at him and I said, they lost nothing. Um, in the time since this scandal popped up in 2011, 2012 timeframe, UNC has been to two final, their men's basketball team has been to two final fours. They've won a national championship. And I looked this up, the, their U.S. News and World ranking among best universities in the country in 2011, they were number 30. And in 2018, for the coming, you know, for this academic year, they're still ranked number 30. They didn't lose any reputation because of this. And, and that was one of the things I think that initially when this whole scandal was coming out was so concerning to folks who, who, who still believe. I, I think that, you know, we have a lot of questions about the, um, the, the student athlete model and, and amateurism and all that. But ultimately, I think the thing that we like to hang our hat on is that whatever, you know, if the students are getting paid or, or whatever's happening to them kind of outside of school, whatever, it's not, it's not really something that we care all that much about. And if they want to go make money doing other things, we, we kind of all agree here that they should be able to do that. What's concerning to us is when they're not holding up the student end of the student athlete bargain. And when they're, and, and that was what was so concerning about this whole scandal to begin with. Um, the, and, and it seems like UNC's reputation didn't take a hit out of this. And this was something that we were concerned about at first was going to happen was, oh my gosh, UNC has these fraudulent classes. It's not just the athletes. It's also the, you know, the regular student body that's able to take them and, and that they're able to get through school without doing kind of the course load that's required. Um, and, and that was concerning because, because UNC is a good school. It's a, it's an, it's, by by kind of the the most recognized measure, the thirtieth best university in the whole country, um, and that means it's a it's a, it's a great school, and and this was a should have been a huge stain on it, and it seems like it didn't affect them at all. Um, I don't I you know I I'm, I don't follow the kind of academic ranking um, criteria very closely. I don't know um, sort of what programs UNC has introduced in the last few years that might have counteracted this, but you would think that that a scandal, um, it's not so far reaching across departments, but it is, it, it, it cuts right to the core of the purpose of the university. You would think that a scandal like this would hurt UNC's academic reputation more. And it didn't, it doesn't seem like it has done that at all. And certainly you can't fault parents in the state of North Carolina from urging their children to go to school there because it's still the top ranked university, public university in the state. Uh, and it's still, you know, a, a, according to every sort of uh, official measure, the best education you can get. And in spite of the fact that we have this very clear evidence here that they were engaging in this in this academic fraud. Um, th that, that's what's con so concerning to me. Donald, did you have something to add on this? Yeah. So I, I'm thinking about like just this whole case. Right. And is I think it's very poignant on, to, you know, on the day that this came out. The NCAA also said that uh, Braxton Beverly of NC State was ineligible to compete at NC State this year because he started at school in Ohio State in May and transferred in July. They li I mean, literally he got became ineligible for going to class on the same day that they just let UNC skate for faking classes. I think that's very very important because the NCAA just said over here. This is not our jurisdiction, but they're so quick to do it for every single else, every other case. If I were, you know, any school that gets or from here on out, this establishes a precedent, a really, really dangerous one, like I mentioned, for the NCAA. If I'm any other school going forward, 
I'm doing paper classes. I'm doing fake classes. And they try to, you know, come after my school. I'm walking in. I'm, I'm model walking into that room, dropping this on their desk and then moonwalking out and saying, have a good day. And the NCAA is going to sit there and they're going to say, we, we, we created this mess. And I, I really feel that, it, you know, as people, they always talk about the student athlete. The student athlete term died today. That's my opinion. Jason, I, I mentioned the, the Andy Katz tweet and that we had seen a lot of commentary flying around. What, what did you see um, in sort of college basketball media as the general reaction uh, to the scandal? Well, there's, there's been a ton of it. I, I, I want to start, uh, it's not a college basketball media, but I want to start with the way that I found out this news. Um, I got an alert from the New York Times, um, uh, the old gray lady, the, the paper of record. Uh, for 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 most people, the the highest standard of journalistic excellence. I got an alert from the New York Times, and I want to read to you what that alert said. It said the NCAA won't penalize the University of North Carolina for what is considered the worst academic scandal in college sports history. Can we <laughs> can we almost dwell on that for a moment? Does the, the does, worst? How 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 deeply did the irony pierce you? Yeah. The New York Times says the worst sca academic scandal in college sports history, and the NCAA is, isn't going to punish them at all. So in terms of reaction, I, I, I want to get to Jay Billis, because a lot of Duke fans have talked about Jay Billis. And to me, there was always something weird about this case, about the UNC case. There was always something different, because there really was disagreement about whether or not they could get punished. You don't hear anyone saying Louisville didn't break the rules. Louisville isn't going to get punished. Uh, in most scandals, there seems to be unanimity that something wrong was done. And the question seems to be the degree to which there will be a penalty. This case was different. Usually it's a foregone conclusion that rules have been broken. And this time we kept on hearing from Jay Billis most prominently, but from other folks that, you know what? There maybe isn't anything here for the NCAA to punish. And let's not forget, Jay Billis is a lawyer. That's what he is by training. He mostly is a college basketball commentator at this point, but Jay Billis went to law school and practiced law. I believe he still practices law. He knows went rules. To, went, to law school, went to law school at Duke, mind you. Yes, yes. Yeah. Undergrad and then law school. He knows rules and regulations really well. And he always said this was a waste of time. And whether UNC did something wrong or not, it wasn't the NCAA's job to punish that wrongdoing. Now, look, we can disagree with that. I certainly do. But it's not an unsound position to take. And that's where the COI, that's where the Committee on Infractions landed on this. So I, I want to get to a couple other reactions that I thought were really interesting. Stuart Mandel of Sports Illustrated, he tweeted out, he said, so taking from a, money from an agent is bad. Taking money from boosters is bad. But steering kids into sham classes is not a problem at all. And then he also, he started this whole string of, of tweets where he said, uh, where he pointed out other schools that got, that did things wrong and got punished that were just minor, minor, like he said, Boise State got punished for letting freshmen sleep on players' couches before they were enrolled. Colorado got two years probation because walk-ons were undercharged for meals. Alabama vacated wins for failing to monitor the distribution of textbooks. 
and UNC did two decades of academic fraud and they get away scot-free. Stuart Mandel was killing them, but the best was Pat Forty. Have you guys read what Pat Forty wrote on Yahoo? No, but I, but before you get like, just you were talking it, about some of those examples. It's, there's so many of those out there. Like, you know, people getting suspended for accepting a ride on a golf cart across campus. Richard Jefferson getting suspended six games for going to the NBA finals with his best friend who just happened to be Luke Walton. Like stuff like that. And then you turn around and say, oh, but this whole literally 18 to 20 years, however you, wherever you want to put the, the time frame, over a decade, almost two decades worth of academic inintegrity. Like that, it, that's, not, that's not okay. And the NCAA today said, yeah, it's fine. Don't worry. We, we can't J- talk Jason, about Jason I, I read the 40 article too. Tell us about it. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, it, so I just pulled out a few quotes from it that I thought were great. There, uh, and there are a number of them. <laughs> there are a number of them. So I'm, let me read you the three that I like the best. Uh, he starts off by saying this. He goes, let history record this. Let history record this as the week that the NCAA completed its descent from flawed to failed. The governing body of college sports is useless when it comes to policing itself. Mall cops think the NCAA is soft on crime. I was like, oh my God, did he just say that? Mall cops think the NCAA is soft on crime. And then the other one I really loved, he said, this is a dirty, dirty sport. College basketball is a dirty sport. And the NCAA doesn't even own a decent broom. I mean, that's like. He ain't lying. He ain't lying. You know, the other, the other one I wanted to talk about, um, and, and, and I know you guys have sort of alluded to this a little bit, is, uh, Donald, I'll, I'll address it to you. The number of people out there, I have a number of friends who emailed me to say, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they said, I would have been outraged at this. I would have been really upset. Now I'm like, eh, whatever. I mean, I'm so dis- people are saying, I'm so disgusted with the NCAA. I'm done with it. Uh, there, there are, there are so many things wrong with this situation that getting upset about this one, I just can't, I can't do it anymore. I don't care anymore. I'm not interested anymore. And Donald, you had, you had something you want to say about that? Yeah. I, you know, to the people who, you know, I, I think this was a really, really hot topic on the, on the forums where people were talking about, I'm done with college basketball. I'm not watching Duke games this year because of this. And, and for that, I, I, this is where I'm a little calmer, right? You have to separate, like Duke has nothing to do with what happened today with the NCAA and UNC, except for the fact they are a member of the NCAA. And if you're, if you're a, a fan of college basketball of any school that is not UNC today, this should not be the impetus to get you to stop watching college basketball. This should be the emphasis to get you to start making effective change on the NCAA. And I think we, even now we have to say, look, here at Duke, we do things the way that we think they're supposed to be done with integrity. People going to class, graduating at high academic standards. If these schools aren't doing that, then as institutions of higher learning, we need to check these other schools. We need to check these institutions. We need to check these athletic departments. And we need to check the NCAA and say, this cannot happen again. And I think that is why you need to further support our guys. Our guys are doing things the right way. They, te- they give, provide videos every day of how they are working hard to make it so that they represent our school to the best of their ability. And I think that is why we should continue to watch them. Don't give up on, the, on, on Duke because of UNC. That's, I, I, I don't like that approach. I think we, 
go after the NCAA and say, you guys need to change. You need to change right now. And, th- and, and if they can't change, then you go after them. Go after UNC. UNC, the Carolina way, we can bash that to the end of time now. We know what the Carolina way is. But we don't need to take that and then say, I'm not going to watch Duke games because I think that approach is incorrect. The, the real shame here is that, um, you know, the, the NCAA exists to um, sort of to be the, you know, it, it's, it's the governing body of college athletics, but it is made up only of its member institutions. And without the member institutions, it, it has no teeth. It's like everyone, all the, all the member institutions buy into the bylaws and the, and the charter and everything for the NCAA. And the shame here is that it's kind of, you know, if you think of the NCAA as being the collective of all the schools, it's the collective of all the schools saying what North Carolina did is fine. Um, and, and, and there's sort of a who will guard the guards question going on here. It's like if, if one of the member institutions, particularly a member institution, again, that has such a, uh, such a high academic um, uh, reputation relative uh, to most of the other institutions, uh, if one of them can get away with this, what is to prevent any other schools from doing the same? And, and, and that's, that, that's the real challenge here. And, and, and hopefully some of the schools sort of come to their senses here and realize that the whole point of higher education is to educate and, um, and, and to give the students these, these, these important educational experiences. And that by allowing UNC to get away with this, they're, they're saying, you know what, whatever, it's fine. Um, and that, that, that's what's really troubling to me. And I hope, I hope, I hope that, that, that some change comes of this and soon because, because I don't think this is a system now that, that, can, then, that can sustain um, very much longer in the wake of this scandal going nowhere on punishment and all the stuff coming out about the, about the agents and the, and, the, and the shoe companies and everything. Um, so Jason, did you want to, did you want to wrap up this, this part of our discussion and we have another topic to get to next, but kind of your last thoughts on the, on the UNC scandal. Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, our other topic, I almost wish I had nothing else to say because our other topic dovetails so well out of what you were just saying. It's almost like you were doing an introduction to what we're going to talk about next, but um, I, I wanted to wrap with this. I, 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 I was reading everything I could on the boards about this until it just got to be too depressing. Um, and, and so I sort of stopped reading a lot of what, you know, the folks out there had written because I, um, I just couldn't anymore. It, like I said, it was too upsetting. But before I stopped, there, there was a post by uh, Rocket Eli, Rocket Eli, Rocket Eli, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, um, Rocket Eli, that, that I really thought said something interesting. I want to read it to you a little bit about it and then comment on it. Um, so he said, uh, the late Nora Ephron, who is an amazing writer, one of the greatest writers um, uh, of our generation. The late Nora Ephron defined porn as something you're embarrassed about that got you off, which is a great definition of porn, by the way. And he said, college sports are starting to feel like porn to me. I've long enjoyed them, but I'm starting to be embarrassed about it. Our beloved Duke significantly lowers its admission standard for large men who like to hit people or hit baskets or whatever else it may be, and they do that at the expense of some very qualified applicants who could otherwise attend the school. He went on to add, it is clearly nonsense that institutions of higher education are running professional sports clubs. And that's the line that really stuck out to me. 
and he's right about that. It's become absurd that our universities, whose mission it is to educate our youth, are running professional sports teams because, folks, that's what major college basketball and football are. They're professional sports teams that happen to not pay the players. And it's not that this one scandal is the thing that has suddenly brought us to that point. Um, there have been plenty of other things that have happened, although it feels like a lot of it is coming together at this moment. And like I said, we're going to sort of address this a little more in just a moment. But um, I, I think we've really reached a breaking point. And I think it's a shame that UNC, one of the finest, Sam said, top 30, one of the finest academic schools in the country, one of the public ivies. It is such a shame that UNC thought that their sports teams were so important, so valuable, that they were willing to compromise their integrity and their honor to protect those sports teams. Because in the end, that's, that's all UNC has is their integrity and honor. That's all any of us have. And UNC lost it. Yeah, they got away with it. But none of us look at Carolina the same way we used to. The New York Times ran a headline about North Carolina being the worst academic fraud case in NCAA history. Everyone knows that's true. North Carolina sacrificed their reputation for their sports teams. And that shows you more than anything that our institutes of higher learning have no business being in the professional sports business. And I'm, I'm on a podcast where we talk about it. I love Duke because I went to Duke. And, and so that, that makes no sense, but that's where we are today. And it really needs to be fixed. This episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast is brought to you by Bird Campbell PA. Bird Campbell means business. We got a message today from one of the founders of Bird Campbell, Tucker Bird, who wanted us just to let everyone know his thoughts on the academic scandal. So here you go. Today's result proves the stark difference between Carolina and Duke. A Duke grad would gladly give up all those championship banners handing in, hanging in Cameron to preserve the integrity of that one little paper which hangs on the wall called a diploma. Bird Campbell means business. Wow, that's awesome. Thanks, guys. So we're going to transition a little bit. We're, we're still kind of talking about meta NCAA issues and, and, um, and college basketball scandals, but we're going to talk about one of the ways that the NCAA is considering sort of addressing this. So they announced uh, a few days ago um, that they're going to be forming a commission on college basketball to, to review a lot of the issues specifically stemming from the FBI investigation that, that became public a few weeks ago and that we have discussed at length on this show. So uh, I'm reading from the New York Times article about the scandal that the group will focus on three broad areas. One, the NCAA's fundamental regulatory arrangement um, where the colleges and universities self-police the second item is the rules regarding the interrelated institutions that are crucial to the scandal, uh, specifically the apparel companies, the non-scholastic basketball programs, and the agents. And then the third item is the NCAA's relationship to the NBA. And they have uh, 
kind of a variety of people who are, you could call them stakeholders in college basketball. They are former players. Um, they are um, uh, heads of, of universities. They're former um, uh, chairpersons of, of conferences and, and athletic departments. Lots of people who have, who have been influencers in the whole college basketball model. And um, they're going to, I don't, I don't know what the, the outcome is going to be, but, but Mark Emmert, uh, who's, who runs the NCAA is, is, is going to be involved in this. Um, the uh, NBA commissioner, Duke alumnus, Adam Silver, uh, has indicated that um, he, he would like to be somehow involved in this because I think that he recognizes how the NBA drives a lot of the decision-making for these, for these student athletes and for the, for the apparel companies. Um, so it seems like, you know, from all the bad college basketball news that has come out recently, they're at least going to start talking about it and, and trying to come up with more concrete solutions to all these problems. So, uh, Jason, why don't you get us started a little bit? And I think you, you ended the last segment um, kind, of, kind of with the appropriate reaction sort of about the, the shame that, that is going on here. Do you feel like the, this NCAA commission on college basketball improves your outlook on on the state of the game going forward or do you think that it's kind of window dressing on a problem that they don't really intend to solve i'm hopeful i would love i would love for these folks to come up with some really good solutions but i am not at all optimistic that they will make the fixes that the sport really needs i think we'll get some changes out of this we'll probably get some positive changes i mean we'll make some steps but I doubt that they're going to go far enough or be willing to take the really radical steps that are probably necessary. And I'll tell you one major reason why. You mentioned some of the people who are on this, this committee. You know who's missing? Players. Current, current, current students. Well, there are two former college basketball players who are on the committee. There's Grant Hill, who I have great respect for and who I loved when he was at Duke. Um, he is now, and he played in the NBA for many years. He's now a partial owner uh, of the Atlanta Hawks, my hometown Hawks. And I think part of the reason he's there is to represent the interest of the NBA. Uh, David Robinson, the admiral, is also on, on the committee. Again, a guy I tremendously respect, someone who has worked very hard since he left the NBA. He's done some wonderful charitable things. He's someone who cares about these issues. But does anyone really think that Grant Hill and David Robinson have any grasp on what the current climate is like for high school students in the one and done era? Grant Hill came from two very affluent, well-educated parents. Um, although he, although he, did, he did play at a public high school. Uh, shout out to South Lakes. Grant Hill. I, <laughs> that's a, that, that's I, nice. I mean, that's fine. Grant Hill knows nothing about what the current one and done players are dealing with. Grant Hill was top recruit in the land, best player in the country, and Grant Hill stayed four years, and no one was and surprised. He, he also he also graduated high school in 1990. That was yeah. 27 years ago. I was just going to say that David Robinson wasn't even a top 200 high school recruit. David Robinson begged to get an offer from Navy. They were college and, basketball players 25 years ago. These guys don't understand what top 10, top 20 players are looking at today. And, and I'll go further. You know who else is missing from this? There's no one from the shoe companies. I don't see a representative from Adidas or Nike or Under Armour. There's no one from the AAU world. I don't see any AAU people on this committee. How can the NCAA think they can come up with a solution 
to address the issues that begin in high school and at the AAU level and continue into the NBA. It's like the world of basketball is a big BLT sandwich and the lettuce just decided it's going to fix everything that's wrong with the bacon. It makes no sense at all. Well, I think, I think in, one, in one aspect you were talking about, you know, players that are former players that can relate to what current players today are going through. The issue with that is if, you, if you're doing that, then realistically you'd want to go after players that are currently in the NBA. Unfortunately, because of the way that this is all set up, they are going to focus more on the NBA side of things because, as you noted, the NCAA, this is not going to say – this is not going to affect what the NBA does. The NBA, What the NBA eventually does is going to have to be collectively bargained between the owners and the players, of which some of these players would then be a, a, bit, a bigger, more vocal voice. But I, I think it's, it's probably – you know they're probably thinking these guys are already fighting it over here it's going to be difficult for them to play both sides, especially on a committee that really, you know, is not something that they, you know, that they're really a part of now. They may have benefited from it, but at the end of the day, you know, just think about the number of players who graduated from high school and went straight to the NBA. Those guys are pretty much all done almost, you know, the last one who really left at that last class, I think it was 2005. So those, a lot of those guys are out of the NBA at this point. So, but wait, 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 you can, you can absolutely have input and contributions from them, even if they're in the NBA. And I'll say something else. Why, why not put Grayson Allen or, or someone like that on the committee and, and, and look, you arrange the meeting so that they can attend or they can virtually attend or something like that. So that, get some input from current players or guys who know what current players are going through. It makes no sense whatsoever for the only player representatives to be Grant Hill and David Robinson, who, who were 25 years ago and, had, and didn't face any of the same pressures and situations that the current players are facing. No, I agree. You want me to, you, Go ahead. You want me to, you want me to read out? I, I, I pulled up the list of, of who's on the committee. So I, since Jason brought it up and, and wanted to note who he didn't see, I just want to quickly run down this list. Um, and it's and all ADs you... and school presidents, isn't it? It's all yeah. NCAA so, administrators. I might get to that. Yeah, in a so, so, so among the, so, yeah, so, so, um, I'll break them up into, into groups, right? So the, the sort of NCAA, um, related people, it's Mark Emmert, who of course is the, is the head of the NCAA. Um, and then, uh, as you mentioned, the, um, the, the two player representative sort of player representatives quote Grant Hill and David Robinson, who have both been retired for a while and certainly haven't been in high school for a while. Then you have the um, sort of the rest of the um, like representatives of the colleges. So the the president of Georgia Tech is um, is on the committee. The president of Notre Dame is on the committee. Um, vice president and uh, and uh, DA at RAD at at Hofstra. Um, the emeritus athletic director at University of Florida. Um, at, and so all those people are on it so that they're kind of representing the schools. And then among um, sort of the academic world, you have the president of the association of American universities. Um, and, and then kind of outside of that um, you have a few representatives of sort of the legal and political world. So Condoleezza Rice is on the committee for some reason. She's um, the chairman general. Of the she's the chairman of the committee. Um, yeah. She's also in charge of the, wasn't she, isn't she also on the college football uh, playoff committee? I she Con has Con she has a remarkable Con amount of uh, she has a remarkable amount of power among college within college I was say, sports. Condi Rice may be one of the you know five or ten most powerful people in the world of sports today. 
which yeah. is crazy and, uh, to think about. Martin Dempsey, who I didn't realize uh, was the new chairman of USA Basketball. Um, I must have missed that. But Martin Dempsey's on the committee, uh, the you know re- re- retired uh, U.S. Army general. And, good friend of um, Coach K, by the way. Martin Dempsey's a good friend, friend of Coach and, K. And he's a, he's a Duke guy, isn't he? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're pretty well represented here. Um, a uh, former White House counsel, uh, Catherine Rumeyer, is on this committee. And, uh, and then John Thompson III, who is uh, a member of the National Association of Basketball Coaches, although I don't believe that he's actually currently a basketball coach anywhere. Um, so like you said, Jason, a lot of, a lot of stakeholders missing from this committee. And, and I, I would echo your concern about what, what is missing from it. And I, I would, I'll, will refer back to the New York Times article from a few days ago that I mentioned kind of when I was introducing this, um, the, the paragraph that really stands out to me and that makes me pessimistic about this whole thing is referring to Mark Emmert. Mark Emmert drew the line at changes to the amateur model, which prevents colleges from compensating athletes beyond scholarships and related costs. While he declined to speak for the commission, its members do not include any public credits of amateurism, and some, such as the Reverend John Jenkins, the president of Notre Dame, are outspoken supporters. So yeah, I, what I, we're, I, what, so what we've heard here, and, and I think the thing that, that the three of us kind of have, have all talked about, and I think is that, you know, among people who really follow the sport day to day and, and understand and, and empathize with all the issues, um, I think one of the, the main takeaways that most of us have, most of us thoughtful college basketball fans and, and, and invested people is that the amateurism model doesn't work that the and i think it was jason you were you were saying this maybe that um you know the the there's lots of money and it has to go somewhere um and and if the players aren't getting if the players aren't allowed to get it other people will make the money for them so you you create this system where where people have to be compensated because there's money to compensate them with um and that it it has to go somewhere and it's not going to the right people and if no one on this committee is willing to acknowledge that and and solve that, I am pessimistic that any of it and any of the goals are going to be met to to any changing degree. Um, so I, you know, I I kind of started the conversation off by making it sound maybe rosier than I than I actually think it is. Um, but it, it, it's a challenge. I don't know. I don't know that that list of people is going to make changes that that you know, the three of us and, and probably most of our listeners are going to agree with. And, and, and I, you know, I, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, but, but nobody on that committee is inspiring me to think otherwise. You, you went ahead, you said it, that Mark Emmert drew the line. He's already said to them that the NCAA's misguided and outdated notion of amateurism will not be touched. That's, that's all we need to know about this. He, he filled this committee with athletic directors and school presidents who have openly said again and again they are opposed to paying players. And they want to preserve this lunatic notion of amateurism. And, and Sam, I'm glad you brought it up because we, we discussed it with the Louisville case a couple weeks ago. Um, if there is not a legitimate economy to, to pay these players what they're worth, an underground economy will fill the gap. That's what's already happening, and it's just going to get worse and worse. Believe me, every top high school recruit in the country is now aware 
that Adidas was willing to pay $100,000, $150,000 to get a kid to go to a school. And the price of the brick is going up. Yeah, those kids are, they all know that's the price. They all know the number now. That's now the floor. Exactly. Like... <laughs> that, that, was, that was the number for a top 20, top 25 kind of kid. Top 10 kid, he's going to go, no, no, I'm a quarter million. I'm a half a million. And, and, well, Anthony, and we need to figure out a way to get it Anthony done. Davis, like 200,000. And that I'm was, sorry? and that was like five, six years ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, it, uh, the NCAA amateur model is dead and they just don't know it yet. Yeah. And, I, I think, I think that's the concern. There's no way this I, I, is not going to solve it. It's not going to solve it. A, a really quick, and then I'll let you get back in. Um, a good friend of mine, wonderful guy, Buddy Womble, Bud Wom on the boards. Um, he, he wrote this, and I thought this is so accurate. This is such an NCAA thing to do. If you want to consume a lot of time, if you want to give the illusion of action, and you want to end up doing absolutely nothing, you set up a commission. That's the way to go. It moves everything off by six months. You get to file a big report, and then you don't have to do anything, and everyone just takes a drink. And you don't have to talk, like, like you said, Jason, you don't have to talk to any of the people who are sort of knee deep in this world, right? You don't have to talk to shoe companies. You don't have to talk to AAU coaches. I mean, and, and, and it's not, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like those people are the bad people. Um, the shoe companies are trying to sell shoes. They're not, they're not selling drugs. They're not, you know, they're, they're not poisoning our youth. They're, they're trying to sell them sneakers. Uh, and, and they're, and, they're, and they're trying to sell shoes and they're also supporting institutions in which they have a huge financial stake. Again, right. that's and, the core and, of the global situation. And, and all the coaches here, I mean, you know, some of these coaches are, are, are out to, you know, maybe, maybe some of them are out to make a buck off these kids. But for the most part, these coaches just want to be, want to be like more prominent coaches, right? They want to, I, I can't imagine there are many guys out there who want to just be AAU coaches, right? They want to go become college basketball coaches. They want to raise their profile. They want to make it seem like, you know, the, the kids that they're getting and the kids that they're sending to these schools are in some way their products and that, that they're worth taking a chance on. Um, high school coaches, the same. I mean, you know, the, the, there, there, there are certainly high school coaches and AAU coaches who just want to be members of their community. Um, but if they're, if they're ambitious people and they just want to be, and they want to be better coaches, this is the way they, they do it. And they, they start as high school coaches and then maybe they get opportunities to go coaching college. Um, so, and so all these people are the ones that, that see this every day. They, they, they know all these student athletes, they know each other. Um, they, they know the, the shoe executives clearly. Uh, and, and they're the ones that get involved in it. Mark Emmert doesn't know any of these people. You know, he doesn't go to high school gyms. He doesn't go to the peach jam. Uh, he doesn't do any of that stuff. So, um, I'm skeptical. Donald, did you, did you, do, do, do you share my skepticism? Do you, or do you see a more optimistic path out of here? No, I share your skepticism uh, in the sense that I, I think that the NCAA, like you said, they don't have the they don't have all the right people in place. Or now, in the forming of a committee, you can always talk about you know they don't have the right people. We don't know how they arrived at these people, and I'm not going to speculate on how they arrived at these people for the simple fact that we just don't know why this group ended up being the group. It could have been people that declined. It could have been people they didn't ask. We're digging too far. We dig too far in the weeds if we want to get to the root of that. But with this group, I, I think that, like you said, they're missing the mark in several different areas. And I think that 
when you talk about how to fix this game to make it more enjoyable, to make it more equitable, to make it uh, more fair for the, 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 the student athletes, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, I, I think that they are not, they, they aren't the guys to do it. And a lot of these people, as you said, are kind of products of the system that they're trying to quote unquote change in the first place. Uh, and, and it's not, they're, they don't have the integrity there. coming out. They don't have the credibility coming out of the gate. And that's really they're something that you need for this. They're the beneficiaries of the current system, right? Correct. Yes, correct. The, and, the and university presidents, the university presidents, I, I imagine, I know that, that Duke's president and I imagine other presidents make, you know, seven figures to be university presidents and, and a lot of the prestige of some of these schools, schools like Georgia Tech, Notre Dame, excellent academic institutions, but also prominent athletic institutions. Mm-hmm. These guys, they, they, they make money on, on, on their being these athletic programs and, and the, you know, when they talk about how the, the athletic programs aren't, you know, making as much money as whatever, as their budget or um, that they have to be supplemented by other parts of the school. Um, how many Notre Dame t-shirts do you think they sell and hats and license plate frames do they sell because the football team exists. It doesn't right. have to say Notre Dame football on it. It just has to be Notre Dame. Right. Um, so the, that, that, that's the, the, you know, as I said, these are the beneficiaries of this system. They're yeah, the people and it, that, that, that make the most money off of it currently in sort of the, 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 the legal market. And their reputations are enhanced by the fact that they have these academic programs or these, these right. athletic programs. Like, you know, for example, we always talk about when Duke wins a national championship, the the applications to the school skyrocket there's that's no coincidence that like there's people you know middlebury college is a very very good institution of higher learning but those no one's applying to that because of their basketball team people some people apply to duke because we have a great basketball team and because they have academics but if it was just academics alone they would look elsewhere and i think that is what the, the the system that's really benefiting and i don't think they're the same people those people aren't the people who give me the, 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 the warm blanket at night to say, don't worry, they'll fix the system that they were a part of. And, and, and I think that like I, the way that Jason said, as far as the committee membership goes, having like Phil Knight or Kevin Plank on this committee, the, you know, the Phil Knight being the CEO of, um, of Nike and, and uh, Plank being the head of Under Armour, um, having either one of those guys in the committee would have given it so much more credibility, I think. Don't you, don't you agree, Jason? Like, people like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It would have completely, if you have those guys, and like I say, uh, you know, add Grayson Allen or, or I don't know, Miles Bridges, yeah, pick, pick a player. It probably needs to be someone who is a top 20 or so recruit. Um, or, or, or Jason Tatum, someone who's recently been one and done. I, I don't know how you want to do how you necessarily pick, need pick to Jolly do Jolly before he, he's, he's rehabbing. He has time. There you go. Um, uh, if you merely had added a couple of those and you had a few fewer of the folks who are firmly entrenched in the same old, same old world of the NCAA, my criticism with this committee would be, would be done. I, I would be really encouraged. I would think this has a real chance. Instead, the majority of the committee, and it's stunning to think this, the majority of this committee is people who are bent on preserving the status quo. The status I, quo I mean, that, that, 
that we know now from doesn't work. FBI it, it doesn't legal work. action doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, it's really sad. It's a pity. I, like I said at the beginning, I'm hopeful. I, I I almost feel like things have gotten so bad. I mean, the scope of the Adidas scandal is and the money involved is so big, and the uh, the, the 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 Carolina News today. Um, so cuts to the core of the NCAA's mission. Like I said, I, I read to you guys the NCAA's core values and how this absolutely, you know, pierces some of their very, some of the very first things they say about their core values. The fact that we're in this kind of a crisis, maybe, maybe these guys will actually say, okay, we need to come up with fundamental change. I doubt it, but, but I guess there's a chance, I guess. Donald, do you want to uh, you want to give us kind of a final thought on the college basketball commission? Well, you know, after all the you know criticism we've just given them, all the all the skepticism that we've had, I really hope, just in all seriousness, I hope that they really examine everything and really get to the root of what college basketball is supposed to be about, and determine that for all these fans. I mean, in light of what's happened today with the UNC. Uh, re- uh, results uh, of that case, um, you know, just the the little nitpicky cases that we've seen over the years for, from people who can't, you know, can't rent an iPod to people who you know steal from from you know, steal tattoos uh, in exchange for autographs to guys who take art for a class or major in basketball. They need to figure this out. And I, it's a really tall task for them. I'm hope, I hope they're up for it because it's something that's going to be very important and that it's going to shape the way basketball is over the next decade. And I really hope they're up for the task. I obviously have my, my, my doubts about that, but I really wish them the best of luck in this because it is important and I think it needs to be addressed. And, and, and you know, coming on top of that, there's one more quick thing I want to add. Um, a lot of people say, uh, you know, the, NB- the NCAA can only do so much because the NBA ultimately controls the, the, the real money, and, and they do. Um, and, uh, and for a long time, uh, the NCAA and people in general who follow this stuff have said, oh, you know, there's only so much that the NCAA can accomplish without the NBA. I actually think that if this committee came back with some real firm recommendations that people looked at. Look, if, if we look at it at the end and we go, wow, that, that makes sense. And that makes sense. You know, this, they're saying some good stuff here. And if part of those recommendations were changes in the NBA and they were merely saying, look, this is how we think we fix the sport of basketball and fix the problems in it. And here's what we think the NCAA should do. Here's what we think the AAU and the shoe company should do. And here's what we think the NBA should do. If the ideas are good, there's going to be unbelievable pressure on the NBA to follow through. This may be a unique window, a unique chance for the NCAA to actually dictate to some extent what the NBA does. Because if, like I said, if they come back with some good suggestions and the NBA and the Players Association goes, yeah, those are really smart, but we're not going to do them. It'll be, it'll look really, really bad. I don't think, I don't think Silver wants, I don't think Adam Silver wants any part of something like that. I don't think the Players Association wants part of something like that. This could be a chance. I don't know that it'll work, but it could be a chance for, for them to dictate what the NBA does.
Okay, we're going to wrap up this episode with uh, some quick parting shots. So Jason, why don't you go first? So we've spent you know, this whole podcast talking about what's wrong with college sports and, and just railing on it and the such. And, and I just wanted to tip my cap to a guy who did something utterly shocking this past week. I, I, it, I'm still floored by this. Uh, the, the head football coach at Oregon State is Gary Anderson. Sorry, I should revise that. The head football coach at Oregon State used to be Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson decided to quit. He, he, he just couldn't take it anymore. And there's a great column in um, The Oregonian by John uh, Kenzaro uh, that, where, where he, he reveals some of the text messages he'd been getting from Gary Anderson for years and, I'm sorry, for several months that explains sort of why Gary Anderson decided to quit um, coaching the Oregon State football team. The fact that he quit sort of is no big deal. Uh, the reason I'm talking about it is that Gary Anderson had a contract that still had four years left on it and $12 million left on it. And he said, I, I can't do this anymore. The team isn't succeeding. My assistant coaches aren't doing what I want them to do. We're not getting where we need to be. And when he quit, he said, I'm not taking any of that money. That, that, kind, of, that kind of thing just doesn't happen. I mean, we have Rick Patino, who, who, who's breaking rules left and right, and who's already made, uh, you know, a small fortune in his career. And it's not a small suing, fortune. Yeah, a large fortune. You're <laughs> right, a, a large, large fortune, fortune in yeah. his career. And he's suing Louisville for every penny of the $40 million that's owed to him. Yeah, and I was going to say, he's, he's hunkering down with, with, with his lawyers in Miami to, to squeeze every last dime out of them. Yeah, and he, he's fired for cause. You see guys all the time who quit but then negotiate a buyout. They negotiate something to do with the end of their contract that gives them money. And Gary Anderson went in and said, I can't do it anymore. We're not as successful as we need to be. I'm not getting us where we need to be. I'm not the guy for the job. And I'm sure the, the first thing the AD or the school president said to him was, how much of your $12 million do we have to give you? And he said, you don't have to give me any of it. I think that's incredible honor on his part. And it just doesn't happen very often. So I'm, I'm tipping my cap to Gary Anderson, the former football coach at Oregon State, who left money on the table because that was the honorable thing to do. You won't catch USC Jason, doing that, that's for sure. That's a, that's a great one, Donald. Um, I have, I have the, a, a dark feeling about what your parting shot is about to be. Yeah, so it's, it's, I've had a bit of a week um, in the sports world. You could uh, say that. <laughs> Yeah, so Duke lost, the Lions lost, but on Tuesday, something that will literally, I mean, uh, there was a reason why, as you guys know, I was not on the episode last week. Uh, I was in Trinidad and Tobago uh, watching the U.S. men's national team attempt to qualify for the World Cup, and for the first time since 1986, we did not do that. And I, I'm still at... Uh, as you can see, I'm still struggling to come to words or to grips of what's happened. Uh, as many of you out there who know me, I'm one of the biggest soccer fans you will ever meet. Big, and I follow the U.S. team almost everywhere. And I'd like to make a plea to you out there. If you know anyone who, like me, is a big U.S. soccer fan, give them a hug. And, and please. Pretty please do not ask them what happened because for the next 
couple weeks, couple months, it's going to be very difficult for us to come to grips with the fact that our team is not going to the World Cup. This would be like Duke not qualifying for the NCAA tournament, but then you can't play basketball for five years. That's basically what just happened to the U.S. national team on Tuesday night because they did not beat Trinidad and Tobago. And it's I will leave with that. Give us hugs. Give us words of encouragement because we are in a kind of a state of flux in the soccer world. We're a very niche group and we, we stick together. But at the end of the day, please don't ask us what happened. Please don't say, oh, why didn't the U.S. qualify and all this stuff because that's not what we need to hear right now. Um, and I'm hoping that tomorrow Duke will get us back on the right track and we will be having brighter days. All right. I am uh, going to finish with a similarly somber sports take. Um, I have mentioned a few times before that uh, I'm a big baseball fan, specifically a big Washington Nationals fan. Um, the franchise isn't very old. They only moved to D.C. Uh, in 2005 when I was in high school. But um, for the fourth time in the last six years, last night the Nationals lost in the first round of the playoffs to the Cubs. Um, they have made habit out of these dramatic, horrible losses in the first round of the playoffs. And uh, so it's not quite, <laughs> I think, as severe as as Donald's sports misery right now because because the Nationals actually get to come back next year with almost entirely the same team and try again and and still probably be one of the best teams in baseball but oh man what a uh what a it was a it was a gut punch end of the season and and, uh, and, I, and living in DC it's it, you know I wanted the Nets to win but the, the the Washington fans are just you know other than other than DC United the big four teams have not made a conference finals since 1998. So and it, yeah, it's something that every, it, I, I'm not trying to rub it in, but it's just like, wow, uh, really? I, I'm not sure. 1998. It's so, so I, God. <laughs> and that was, that, so that, that was the Capitals making the Stanley cup uh, finals. They, they, they lost yeah, in the cup finals, and they got swept, yeah. but they, uh, but I, I actually went to one of the, um, to one of the conference finals games against, against Buffalo. I remember I was in second grade. Um, and, uh, so that's, you know, I'm not that old, but that was almost 20 years ago. It, it, it provided that the Wizards and Caps uh, don't make the conference finals this year, um, which they could. Uh, they're, both, they're both good and competitive again. But we're coming up on 20 years of having four major sports uh, in D.C. and not making any conference finals. So give Sam it's two a, hugs was the point a, of mine. Man, it, he, it's, he of it is a bummer. And I, and, 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 and I you know, I, I have that kind of imprinted on me like across all the sports at this point in my sports fandom i basically like you know i'm i'm still a wizards fan and a capitals fan but i can't really like root for them week to week it's just there's just too much going on um so the nationals are kind of the only dc team that i still like follow you know closely the way that i do say duke basketball or duke football um so those are my dudes and uh and and in particular, um, it was the last uh, it was the last game for Jason Worth as a Washington National, and his uh, his time in DC has been uh, a lot of up, some very severe downs. Um, but uh, but I've always been a big fan of his, so uh, it's a bummer that that he won't get to advance any further in the playoffs with the Nets because um, he is probably not coming back to Washington next year. May Bryce Harper stay in red. We still got Bryce Harper for one more season, maybe. 
Hey, Donald, can can I ask, is this the worst week of sports you've ever had in your life? Um, I have not even come to process this week, so I can't even give you a straight answer. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It, it's going to take a while before I can look back and really break down what happened uh, this week. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Duke lost. I, as you guys know, I'm a big Michigan fan. They lost. Miami won. But that doesn't offset the fact that everybody else lost. Even the, I think even the Wings lost their home opener. Like it's really, it's been, a, it's been, a, it's been a week. It's been a really, really difficult week. I'll tell you something, man. I, I the Trinidad and Tobago game. I, I I'm not going to ask you what happened. So I, I watched the Panama game. I watch most qualifying games. You're, you're the Uber fan. I'm, I'm still a pretty big fan. I didn't even bother to watch the game because I had other things going on. It, it never, never occurred to me that we couldn't get a point from Trinidad and Tobago. Like, it, it, it wasn't even possible in my head, so I didn't watch it. And then I got an alert in my phone, and I went, that's got to be wrong. It just can't be possible. It's got to be wrong. Honestly, it, it, you know, it, it's surreal. I could write a book about all the emotions and everything about Tuesday night being down there. But I will say this to end on a positive note. In 2021, when the U.S. is back on track, and we're about to qualify for the World Cup in 2022. There's one request I've told my friends. There's one request that I want, and it's to be with those people who were with me in Trinidad on Tuesday night, because the emotion that we all experienced together will never be forgotten, and it will be something that's going to carry with us for a long time. And I want to be with those people when we get back to the highest of highs. So. Uh, that we can celebrate together and kind of say this process started with us at our lowest as, as soccer fans. And now we're back on top. Um, that would be really, Don really sweet. Donald, if you, if you write that book, I will show up at your politics and prose talk. I'll have to do it at politics and prose. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. We'll, uh, we'll end there. So <laughs> for Jason Evans and for Donald wine, I am Sam Klein. Uh, this has been episode 88 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We'll, we'll talk about actual Duke basketball here very soon. Uh, but for now, Duke fans, take us home.